Before we begin, please refer to the disclaimer and link in the podcast notes, and note that all opinions expressed in this podcast are intended for informational purposes only and should not be treated as investment or financial advice. Bitcoin is awake, with one of its most volatile weeks in a very long time. Coinbase, though, makes the news again for their new base chain, and we give you an update on the spot Bitcoin ETFs, of course, with the potentially new Ethereum future ETFs. We discuss all this right now in Collective Shift's weekly recap. Actionable insights and a breakdown into the crypto market, all in under 30 minutes. We'll start with the market update with Matt, followed by the ETF and Coinbase news. So Matt, what does the market look like? Thanks, Leon. As you touched on just there, more volatile week uh, for Bitcoin, Ether and all of crypto in the last seven days. We've been waiting for a while, uh, saying flat prices, flat prices, flat prices, and we've finally got you know, a bit of change. So past seven days, Bitcoin down 11%, ETH down 10%, uh, and we saw some more heavier selling during the week, but we've corrected a bit. So at the moment, Bitcoin is 26,000 and ETH is 1670. Uh, the cause of the uh, really heavy selling uh, was really what's called a long squeeze. So few of our listeners might be familiar with the short squeeze, which is more, I guess, heavily discussing crypto because it's almost the reason why prices go up, uh, where short sellers have to have to buy, you know, Bitcoin or ETH back off the open market to to close their positions. A long squeeze is just the complete opposite of that, which kind of caused you know prices to cascade down, reached all you should see on the chart there. I think we got into the twenty five thousand area for Bitcoin. For a brief moment, and for ETH, I think it very briefly went under sixteen hundred. Uh, so it was a very, very sharp sort of sell-off, you know, late last week, and yeah, we've more or less steadied since then. So we were waiting for that price volatility to come, and yeah, it, it finally did come. So those that long squeeze was quite a significant one, uh, being one of the largest or the largest long, uh, long sort of uh, liquidation of, of longs or, and and some shorts since January. Uh, 2022. So yeah, a very long time there. Around the same time, there was some discussion about other maybe secondary reasons why the price you know was sold off. There were some reports about SpaceX uh, selling some Bitcoin or at least at least um, writing down the value of the Bitcoin that they hold in their balance sheet. That sort of came out you know uh, not too long after all these prices. So it was. Uh, these price crashes. So it was a bit of a uh, bit of you know people's side to look for an answer and, and maybe cause some more selling. Uh, Evergrande as well, uh, you know, filed for bankruptcy. That's one of the the large sort of real estate companies in China. Um, and there's been just continued you know fear about sort of the Chinese real estate sector in general over the past, well, particularly sort of the last week. So that again almost created some more fear in the market so that's a big watch for the coming week with response to well seeing how the chinese sort of you know government responds to you know whether it how it takes care of its real estate sector which many sort of economists and and market commentators have been sort of putting under the spotlight for a while now as a potential uh just just watch and see sort of uh event so yeah that's that's in the state of the markets i suppose it's good to have some volatility for people who are long-term you know, investors, you know, they might be happy to take up some more uh, accumulation in, in sort of the past few days for other people. It's more just writing it out. Um, but yeah, it's good to see something other than a, than a very flat week, which has been becoming the norm of late. 
Yeah, that's right, Mike. It's, it's actually been good to have some excitement in the market back here again. <laughs> you know, uh, and for those who uh, weren't aware, liquidations is when someone doesn't have enough money to cover the bets that they're making. And so they have to go ahead and sell that position. And that does cause the market to cascade down. But of course, uh, of course, Evergrande FUD as well. This has been happening for two years now. Nothing new in the market. We're all aware of this. I'm sure the Chinese government are very aware of the Evergrande uh, uh, issues going on. So, so uh, let's let's leave it at that, uh, Mass. Thank you very much for covering the market for us every single week. We do appreciate it. Now, let's go over to Nick, our resident senior research analyst here. So, Nick, I know Coinbase has recently been in the news. They've been in the news a little bit um, over the past couple of months. What's new with Coinbase and what's all this new fuss about? So there were two main things that uh, got Coinbase in the news this week. One was their approval to sell crypto futures in the U.S., uh, which was kind of a landmark uh, bid by the CFTC, which regulates the commodities um, sort of area in the U.S. market, especially because Coinbase has been wrapped up in a lot of court battles, especially with the C, with the SEC. So this was seen as a as a big win for Coinbase because they've been trying to get these licenses for years now, and it's kind of a good step forward. Uh, but they still have a long way to go with trying to overcome their current issues, which are more related to offering securities and staking services uh, in the US by the SEC. So uh, that's just such a landmark case that even some little positives, I think, can be taken as a as a good step forward. Uh, the other major one here was that Coinbase's on-chain summer, which is an event launching their new Ethereum network, has kicked off and really got a lot of good traction. Uh, they had a lot of big names such as Coca-Cola who are sort of coming in with their um, NFTs, which I think had some pretty landmark sales with uh, a, a lot of success and a lot of minting. So that's showing that I think Coca-Cola finally has got some success selling NFTs on Coinbase. And I think the, the overall I think theme here is that their new chain is proving to be very fruitful and with a lot of demand because um, these things can actually make revenue um, the way they operate. So it's actually showing that its chain is actually quite profitable so far, even though there's been sort of heightened demand because of people perhaps wanting to get in on free mints and participate. Uh, but it's just good step forwards. Yeah, that's good to see that Coinbase, uh, the base chain is actually performing pretty well so far. And I'm a big fan of it. I've uh, used it only, uh, only very little. Um, and so far, the experience has been nice for me. And we slowly see the TVL increasing. So Nick, uh, thanks very much for covering that. But I've got a question for you. Like, why is this actually so significant? Why, why do we care about if Coinbase comes on, right? What's, what's happening? Uh, just because of, as, as I mentioned, the landmark case that is happening, but then it's also hard to sort of appreciate that a big or the biggest public company is launching an Ethereum-backed uh, you know, blockchain, uh, which is, I think, I'm not sure about you, Matt, but definitely for me, being in the industry, it's one of those ones that I'm just so excited to see public companies dive into public blockchains um, and really align themselves with Ethereum. So for me, this is quite legitimizing as they're you know, not creating their own blockchain to try and um, monopolize you know, or take away users from Ethereum, but it looks like they're actually um, trying to leverage Ethereum. And they're actually working um, with developers and the Ethereum Foundation on Ethereum proposals. Uh, which has kind of gone under the radar a lot that people don't realize the, the vast amount of you know, resources Coinbase has that are you know putting towards Ethereum development, which is always positive. Um, I think it also shows a bit of confusion as well with the CFTC and the SEC, um, a lot of different products Coinbase is offering. So I think this could potentially go um, 
maybe more fuel in the ammo towards Congress finally creating some some sort of market structure in the in, in the industry, which I'm just so excited for, and I'm really hoping we see some more clarity. Yeah, right on, um, Nick. Thanks very much for sharing that. And it is very bullish to see that uh, Coinbase is helping the Ethereum Foundation and just spur on the community sense in Ethereum. So it's not crypto is not going away, everyone, just in case you <laughs> hadn't realized so far. So, uh, Matt, let's move on to you, my friend. There has been some even more news in the Ethereum future ETF space. We are already waiting for uh, the BlackRock Spot Bitcoin uh, ETF, but now there's Ethereum futures. What is happening in the market? Yeah, with the with the Bitcoin ETFs, and now we've got a lot of discussion about the Ethereum futures ETFs. Uh, this is all to do with the, in the US, uh, SEC uh, still has not approved an Ethereum futures ETF, nor has it approved a spot Bitcoin ETF uh, in 2021. There was a milestone made when they approved their first Bitcoin futures ETF. That was significant, but probably the big sort of milestone that the industry would like is a spot Bitcoin ETF, which, uh, yeah, has there was a decision last week in respect to uh, one of the applications and the SEC delayed its decision until you know uh, 11th of November from memory. Uh, the next deadline is for that. We do have, you know, a lot more sort of a handful, six or seven or eight uh, sort of applications that are coming up for their deadlines uh, at the start of September. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see what the SEC says about uh, if it will approve or deny these. Uh, the, if history is anything to go by, they will delay their decision uh, once. Well, well, for these, it'll be their first deadline. Um, and that's the expected result. But the, anything's possible. We might get an actual answer uh, for those. In Europe, there was a spot Bitcoin ETF that did go live. Um, so again, more just, um, you know, signaling just how, how in front of a lot of these other jurisdictions sort of are with respect to, um, their lead over the US with regarding sort of the appetite and the com- the level of comfort these regulators have for, you know, approving, you know, spot, spot ETFs in relation to Bitcoin for the Ethereum futures. Um, you know, why is this such a big deal? It would probably, if there is going to be an approval by the SEC, it would probably just help legitimize Ethereum or, or ETH, the native sort of asset to Ethereum. Uh, and that would sort of be seen as a big win in the industry. Because as I said, the only cryptocurrency so far the SEC has been comfortable sort of approving at least a futures ETF is with is regarding uh, Bitcoin. So um, yeah, there's a bunch of you know, deadlines coming up for the futures ETFs again later this year. If history is anything to go by, they will probably announce a delay on that and we'll get into 2024 where they'll eventually be forced to either approve or deny. So yeah, fingers crossed that this actually does turn into an approval because it would really, really help sort of the legitimacy of, of crypto at large. Yeah, Matt, we've we've actually covered a, a bit of this news before in some of our previous weekly recaps, but I want to bring it back down to basics for some of the members that might be listening out there. So there is a spot Bitcoin ETF, and then there is like a future Ethereum ETF. So just to break it down very simply for us, Matt, what is the difference between a spot ETF and a future ETF? Can you break it down for us, please? Yeah, so they're both just sort of uh, instruments, the financial instruments that are owned by a certain issuer of the ETF. And I guess it's like, depending if it's a futures or spot, you're sort of, 
you know, if I go to, to buy an ETF off one of these issuers, I guess their actions are going to be different. In the case where it's a spot ETF, like for Bitcoin, for instance, if I go to them and I, I purchase an ETF, a unit of an ETF from them, they will have to then, you know, make sure that they actually, you know, purchase Bitcoin either from the open market or, or over the counter OTC. So to make sure that I guess the balance is always sort of one for one to really simplify it versus a futures ETF where they don't have to do any of that because the price of the ETF is just tracking maybe the the, the derivatives of, of Bitcoin, which are traded on futures markets or whatever. So all, all, all in all, it really just affects, I guess, the demand for the underlying. So if it's Bitcoin, if it's Ethereum, um, we really would like a spot ETF because it would more closely, I guess, reflect the true demand for the underlying asset rather than having, you know, futures ETF, which is, you know, a bit of progress, but, but ultimately not quite where we want to be. Right on, Matt. Thank you. Thanks very much for that uh, really uh, uh, low level kind of, uh, sorry, high level, actually, high level explanation of the difference between a spot and a, bit, and a, um, a futures ETF. Um, I feel like I understand a little bit more about the market space now. Okay. Um, so Nick, I want to go back to you, my friend. So there is some extra news. Uh, we'll leave the regulation and we'll leave the spot uh, ETS at the moment. Uh, Nick, I want to ask you about a gaming giant. This is a, that's actually decided to enter crypto and gaming. Uh, I think they're called Zynga. They've probably made a few games that we're familiar with. What's this news item about? Yeah, so you no doubt may have played some Zenga games before. Like they uh, created a lot of Web2 games like Words with Friends, which is one of the highest grossing mobile games. And back in the day when you had uh, bank games being built on Facebook like Farmville. Uh, so Zenga is a, a multi-billion dollar you know, gaming mobile company. And they're dipped into Web3 gaming by launching their new uh, game, which is called Sugartown. Uh, and it's sort of their attempt to first create a native web3 game to sort of a crypto audience uh they haven't released it just yet but they're going to be releasing it sort of at a later date with the release of about ten thousand different nfts uh, and it just really marks the, you know, the first um really stamp in, in the market for such a big giant like zanga um who was also behind some other big games like at a few big poker games that a lot of people were using um but they sound like when some other companies were potentially exiting the web free gaming market that they're still pushing on yeah it's quite interesting like i, I remember farmville when facebook was uh, all the rage back in the day but now i would never uh, use my time on farmville for example so i i've got a couple of questions follow-up questions for you there um nick so do, do you play uh, idle games matt nick do you guys have any time for games nowadays i don't know about you matt but i'm probably the the, the gamer in the pack here because i do love my uh PC, you know, I'm a bit of a um, VR fan as well um, for those in the team that play along. But yeah, I'm a massive gamer. That's why gaming is one area that I really try and pay attention to because there is other games that I play that um, developers are really stepping into the Web3 gaming sector, potentially looking at how they can connect to audiences or even utilize NFTs through mint and burn mechanisms in a way to retain gamers or even enforce like royalties on chain. So it's a big area and i'm just yeah continue to watch and slowly by slowly these big giants are dipping their toes in yeah and matt we do actually cover a whole lot of gaming the gaming narrative in the collective shift platform but significantly uh what is 
uh, sorry, uh, particularly to this scenario, what, what does it mean that Zynga starts getting onto Ethereum to create gaming on, on Ethereum? Like, what does it mean for the blockchain space in itself? They have a massive user base, right? Yeah, I think it's just, a, I say it as a, just another opportunity, like a big opportunity for, I suppose, you know, the value prop of Web3 gaming or blockchain gaming to be explored and ideally to be uh, helped almost validated or, or there to be more evidence that you know the the value of a game and how much fun you can have on a game that the users get from it is actually superior to the existing sort of industry so i view this as another yeah another thing to circle to continue to monitor if not even try playing it yourself uh because yeah it, it very well could be because of the user base you reference leon if there is success with this game uh, it could really, I think, either inspire more resources to be invested in it through Zynga, the entity or the parent company that owns it, and even you know competitors in the gaming industry to maybe lean in a bit more, you know, intently to the blockchain gaming space. So that's why I think this was such significant news. Yeah, I, I think it is pretty significant because with, if if they manage to uh, actually spur great innovation and it's a fun game to play, a lot of people will just start coming onto the Ethereum blockchain. And dear God, I hope that the Ethereum gas fees do not spike <laughs> like they used to. Otherwise, the rest of us will suffer. Thanks, Matt and Nick, on that uh, information piece on the Zynga gaming giant moving into the Web3 gaming. I want to move on to our rapid fire. Uh, anything in the market that's been appreciated, overappreciated, or even underappreciated? So, Nick, I think you have uh, some uh, uh, something that you uh, overappreciate in the market this week. Uh, actually, maybe underappreciate because to start off 2023, there was a lot of talk about Visa and MasterCard potentially halting new crypto partnerships and stepping back from the space. But from what I've seen, actually, that it's the opposite, that despite the bit of gloomy market um, and sideways market that we're having, a lot of people are unsure whether, you know, as always, whether you know this is, has staying power. It's showing that it potentially does with MasterCard, I think, just coming out. And they've released a few research reports that actually dived into how to use blockchain um, to, I guess, move bank deposits on chain and a way for them to be that middleman to facilitate this new movement towards potentially getting more real world assets on chain. So they come out with um, a few research reports looking into stable coins and how the market's evolving for stable coins. Uh, and also Visa in the last few weeks, we saw that you know they're testing out how to do gasless Ethereum transactions or how to um, subsidize those transactions, how to change the native token to USDC, for example, in these transactions. So big, you know, companies, Visa and MasterCard, potentially seeing the writing on the wall. And, you know, this is a technology that has staying power. And that's what I really excites me in the market, that despite whatever you know, news headlines we may see, some firms stepping back. From what I'm seeing, it's actually really stepping in. They may not be creating their own coins or own chains, but they're definitely leveraging what's out there and looking at, you know, meeting this rising tide. Yeah, I'm with you there, Nick. Like it's a long-term view at Collective Shift. And so we keep that five to 10 year view at all times. And we see companies still continuing to enter the space, which at the end of it is still bullish for the entire crypto industry. So well said, man. Thanks for sharing that. Um, um, Matt, I want to move on to you. Do you have anything that's uh, overappreciated or underappreciated you notice in the market this week? Uh, yeah, maybe, oh, maybe underappreciated. Um, I don't think we talk about it too much. So it, it could be sort of a new 
area for people to be pay attention to. But it's really just the concept of token unlocks. Um, we've done some content on it in the past, the collective shift. But you know, token unlocks is just where a project will have you know 100 of their their tokens, which they will announce when they sort of start. Well, typically there's some exceptions. Um, and then that will sort of break it up, you know, you know, if you just picture like a pie chart, they'll break up some for investors, some for community, some for treasury. And then, you know, slowly over the first four or five years of the existence, they will slowly release them into sort of the open market um, and giving the people who receive them, like investors, for example, the ability to sell them. Not all of them will sell them, but a lot of them will. Um, so there's sort of unlocking sort of schedules or vesting schedules where you can sort of track, um, to see when there are some big sort of unlocks that are coming up. So this week, for example, you know, Lido, the LDO token, they're, you know, releasing about $15 million worth of LDO tokens. So, uh, nearly 1% of their sort of circulating supply. So is going to be entering circulation. So, uh, we, we have a few different terms for supply. Uh, the sort of total supply and then there's sort of circulating supply, circulating supply being any token that has entered circulation. How does it enter circulation? It's because it unlocks or because it, it vests. So it's good to keep track of like when some tokens have big unlocks. So Avalanche, for example, has like nearly 3% being unlocked this week. Yield, uh, Guild Games, YGG has um, about 30% of the token supply. Uh, has been unlocked and, and nearly 7% is being unlocked this week. So it's, there are handy tools out there. I think the probably industry standard is sort of token unlocks or yeah, token.unlocks.app. Um, and you know, some projects like to time announcements around the time of these, um, just to sort of cushion the blow of any sell side pressure. Um, so it just can be something to look for, for long-term investors. Like me personally, I don't really pay too much attention to them, but if you're looking for like an entry price, sometimes it can be handy to like, see if there's going to be like a big release of tokens, like particularly in quiet times like these, where, you know, the prices can move on not much sort of volume uh, and there isn't really too much like new demand entering the space. So they're just like something that I would like, like to maybe just put under the spotlight, because yeah, I don't see it talked about too often. Yeah, and uh, if yeah, I just see, to add in there, Matt. Um... Sorry, Matt. Oh, sorry, Nick. Sorry, you go, I mate. was going to say actually sorry, that. Sorry, Nick, I was going to say that actually, when you look into the uh, uh, acceleration of token prices, when you consider um, small tokens in circulation that have high VC backing, Lido is one that, if you look at the actual chart, it's um, you know increase of like in terms of its token price actually hasn't been as high as its adoption and usage um, but then if you look at total market cap and the way that's exploded uh, once these tokens vest market cap quickly skyrockets uh, but token price may not follow so it's another case of maybe vcs getting in very early and be able to cash out and be able to realize those gains but you know if you were to buy the token and later on you're not seeing that high price appreciation even though lido is probably one of the most successful cryptocurrency protocols out there so it's just important to look use coin gecko we use these charts to look at market cap think about who's holding them and even uh, whether they have low float which is cold like whether they come to market with only you know that small percent like matt talked about um 
a lot of things to consider and I think they're easy ways to sort of um, get caught out. Yeah, and speaking on that low float market cap, uh, we did cover WorldCoin not too long ago, and that is a perfect case example. Uh, if you're considering, you know, making allocations in crypto, then at least have a look at the resources at Collective Shift, where we look at tokenomics. It's a part two part series where you get to understand how these tokenomics are actually measured and what it means to have a poor tokenomics, for example. So, Matt, that was a very good actual uh, um, uh, f- um, information you gave us there. So, really appreciate that. And um, lastly, I'll just share what uh, I thought was underappreciated in the market was uh, Coinbase itself. So Coinbase is in the news for the uh, uh, ETFs at the moment. But one thing I think is underappreciated was how much TVL has actually been accrued onto the base chain, which is, you know, kind of their layer two solution. And it's quite easy to actually bridge over there. You can go ahead and get a Coinbase account and you can withdraw straight away to base. Let's have a look, quick look at the TVL. It's currently sitting at about $180 million. It's not close to Arbitrum's uh, $1.7 billion or Optimism's $700 million, but TVL, which is total value locked, which means how much of value is actually you know on the chain or moving around on that chain. It's not as close as these other layer twos, but it is getting up there. It is a new chain, of course, uh, with possibilities, new communities, NFT communities. Um, So there's a lot of speculators out there. But at the same time, you could find one brand new protocol, which is only starting their journey and could be making their way up the ranks. At the same time, though, my friends, you have to be very careful, right? Um, Some of these tokens are scams. You have to be careful what you connect your wallet to and what you approve, okay? For example, let's take an example. The top two chains, I'm going to share it over here. It's called Base Swap and um, Base Protocol or based, uh, <laughs> base coin based, uh, Base Swap and as well as Swap Based. They're just pure forks, right? They are just copycats of the Uniswap V2 chain. So really, guys, there is opportunity out there, but I want to urge you to be very cautious. Some of these brand new tokens, brand new chains out there, some of them come out with new tokens that are completely scams because it is quite easy to create a token nowadays, right? Let's have a look at the top two ones, which is called Base Swap and Swap Based. So these two tokens are pure forks of the Uniswap V2 uh, protocol, which is basically saying they are copies of it. Okay, so there's nothing innovative over there. They're just brand new tokens that uh, they've uh, copied from another protocol. So I'll leave that in your hands, my friends. Uh, Make sure you stay the course and you be very safe out there in crypto. All right, I'll, I'll leave it there. Now, I think, my friends, that is a wrap for this week. If you're looking for more insights, be sure to check out the weekly Collective Shift newsletter, providing free weekly insights, of course, every Friday. Make sure you subscribe at collectiveshift.io forward slash newsletter. That's collectiveshift.io forward slash newsletter. We'll see you again next week.